Acts chapter 1. We've been doing a, um, a series looking at the book of Acts in uh, the New Testament and not sort of going through it like in heavy detail because there's a lot of stories and a lot of nuance there that would take us probably like 12 months to get through. But um, doing like a flyover look at, at the book of Acts. And so I opened this up uh, three weeks ago with looking at Acts chapter 1 verse 8, which is really, I believe, the, the essence of that whole um, 28 chapters in Acts where it says, um, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so that's what we see in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And then we see that actually happen through the rest of the book. We see people, men and women like you and I, um, filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered to then be God's witnesses throughout the world. And Acts really is the, uh, the story of the birth of the church. So we now, C3 Coffs Harbour, 2023, uh, we really are a remnant of the church that we see birth in Acts chapter 2. It's crazy. Like, and that's what I think we want to get, a, get our heads around is that this is not some disconnected thing. That, oh, that's like a cool Bible story. Um, and we're now here in real life. No, no, no. That was real life. And this is now the real life 2,000 years later that we are part of that golden thread of God's plan and purpose for humanity all these years later, which is amazing. And, uh, and so then we see in, in Acts chapter 2, um, the, the church then uh, happens, they meet in the upper room, the Holy Spirit falls, tongues of fire come in people's heads, which is weird. Like, that's weird, tongues of fire. And then they burst out um, praying in, in tongues in foreign languages, uh, declaring the goodness of God. Everyone goes, what's going on? These guys must be drunk. No, I'm not drunk. Um, this is actually what Joel prophesied 700 years earlier about how in the last days I will pour out my spirit. My young men will dream dreams. My old men will have visions. And, and, and I'll prophesy through my daughters and through my sons. Incredible. Then, at the back end of Acts chapter 2, we see in verse 39 that this promised Holy Spirit that they've been awaiting for years and generations is actually for you and your children and all who are far off. And guess what? You and I, sitting here today, are part of that all who are far off mob that they were talking about 2,000 years ago. So this same Holy Spirit has been working through the church of Jesus Christ for all these years, through the good times, through the bad times, and everything in between. And so we now are part of that legacy being filled with the Spirit of God to be His witnesses in all the world. It's awesome. I love that. And uh, so last week, David Hooper talked about um, the life of Peter. And so Peter plays a big role in, um, in Acts. So Peter was the loudmouthed disciple that got himself into trouble. And... Um, and so we see then the first sort of eight or nine chapters of, of Acts, Peter plays a really big role um, in leading the church as it bursts out um, of Jerusalem in into all the world. And Peter did some incredible things, did some really stupid things, but did some really positive things as well. But was a real, really significant key figure, uh, an example of God's spirit being filled in him to then be a witness, even though when God's spirit was in him, he did dumb stuff. Like he denied Jesus and, um, you know, cut off a centurion's ear and, and did some really wacky stuff. But even in the midst of his silliness, God still moved powerfully through him. And we now are so inspired by that all these years later. So today I'm going to look at Paul a little bit, the Apostle Paul, who sort of picks up as a significant figure in Acts um, in about chapter 9. And so um, 
I think that's what we're going to do. And then we'll round that out at the end and then we'll have coffee. It'll be all good. You good? Yeah. Excellent. I love that. All right. So Paul, a um, bit of history about, about Paul. Um, some of you would know this. Some of you may not know this. But, but Paul is, is by far outside of Jesus, of course. Like Jesus is the most significant figure in New Testament scriptures. But after that, Paul would have to be next in line. Like number two. He was just like so significant. And... But his name used to be Saul. Uh, he was a Roman Jew who was highly educated, highly intelligent, um, very, very passionate about serving God and fulfilling the law. And uh, so he rose to, through the ranks of, of the church very, very quickly and became a Pharisee and a, a leader of leaders. And when, so parallel to that, so he's doing all this, and parallel to that, then this guy, Jesus, comes along, starts doing some cool miracles. Um, they don't like it, put him on a cross, crucify him, he dies, raises three days later. Um, and then they go to Jerusalem, like we just read about, the Holy Spirit fell, they go out and start spreading the good news. Saul gets wind of this, he's like, he's not a happy chappy. Um, he's got a bean, his bonnet, ants in his pants. He's not cool with this because this, this the way, this gospel, this, this message of Jesus is actually disrupting the orthodox belief of the Jewish church and how it should be done. And so he makes it his mission and mandate to then snuff out the Christians, snuff out the way and make sure that it never gains traction and never becomes um, anything that has some, any sort of global influence or at least local influence as well. And so he would persecute Christians, he would imprison, he was given power to imprison Christians, to see to the execution and murder of Christians, to do whatever he could to shut the message of Jesus down. Um, we are now here today, so spoiler alert, he wasn't that great at it. It wasn't a success for him. Um, so what happened is, is Acts chapter 9, we read this story. Saul's on his way to Damascus to do more of this. To, he was breathing murderous threats to the church. So on the way to Damascus, God just sends this massive light that blinds him and he falls to the ground. He's like, I can't see a thing. It's all like me sitting on the stage right now. All I can see is these lights. And, and this voice from, from the heavens says to Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? And that must have been a real trip out, like this weird ethereal voice coming out of the sky saying, why are you persecuting me? What, what the heck? And, and so I was like, who is this? And the voice says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, if we time out there, what I find fascinating about this particular part of the story is that Paul and Jesus were never physically in the same room. They're on two different timelines. Paul's rise to... Um, to, to influence and power, and then his subsequent shutting down of the church was was at a, at a different time frame to when Jesus had died and was resurrected and went to heaven again. So they never physically met; they were never in the same town at the same time. Never have never had a coffee together, anything like that. So, so how could Jesus say, "You are persecuting me"? Now you might go, "That's nothing." But I find that super significant, and here's why I find that significant: because um, humanity is is the Imago Dei. We, we are made in the image of the divine, image of God. That's what the Latin means, the Imago Dei. We all, as human beings, no matter where we're from, who we are, we've got this fingerprint of God on us, which means we have infinite and eternal value. 
And the only way we come to realize that and activate that in our life, because we're born into this world spiritually dead because of sin, right? The sin nature is rampant in this world. That's why we live in such an evil, dark world, because sin is so prevalent. So when we're born into this world, we still have the Imago Dei, but it's not activated until we are born again. And that's, no, we don't climb back into mum's tummy and come out again. That's just weird on all levels. But, but it's a born again of the spirit, that what is dead is being brought to new life, is, is, is being resurrected, if you like, to then be able to have a relationship with God. So we are born again. And so people are created with infinite value and worth. That's why no matter what you believe or where you're from, I want to make sure that people that I interact with feel loved and feel valued, regardless of with, whether we believe the same stuff or not, because we all carry the Imago Dei. So, so, so Jesus says to Saul, why are you persecuting me? What he's essentially saying is, you are persecuting people who are credit in my image, and I'm taking this personally. It's now on. You hurt my people, I take that personally. And, and so we see this in reverse in Matthew 25, where Jesus says to his disciples, hey boys, thank you. And the disciples are like, what, what do you mean? What, what, what are you thank, thankful for? Well, when I was in prison, you came and visited me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. And when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. And the disciples are like, all right, hold on. A, we've never seen you naked. Let's just clear that right up straight away. We have never seen you naked. And B, you've never been to prison. And when, when did we feed you? When did we give you a drink? And he said, no, no, no. When you did these things to the least of these people, you did them unto me. So when we help people, God takes it personally. When we hurt people, God takes it personally. Romans 12 says, vengeance will be mine, says the Lord. You've heard eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. No, 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 you don't go take your own vengeance out. I will take your um, pain and torment inflicted by somebody else personally. Leave it to me. I've got this. I'll take it from here. Thank you very much. Which means we can live with forgiveness in our heart and freedom from the pain and shame that are caused by other people. That is the beauty of the gospel. God takes our pain and God takes our pleasure, if you like, personally. So, so Jesus identifies himself in Acts chapter 9 to Saul. Stop persecuting me, rah, rah, rah. Um, gives his eyesight back, essentially. As, that, as a result of that encounter, Saul is born again. His eyes have been opened to the reality of God. God changes his name from Saul to Paul. And where he was once on a hell-bent mission to destroy and bring down the church, he's now on a heaven-sent mission to build and establish the church for all generations that will be to come. And now we see the two-thirds of the New Testament scriptures were written by this guy, Paul, who had this dramatic um, encounter with Jesus and was absolutely saved and transformed. And so we look at Romans, um, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, um, Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians, Colossians. Um, uh, they're all there. I was trying to impress you with how many I could remember, but I ran out. <laughs> Philemon, yeah, that's there. Thessalonians 1 and 2, yeah, they're there. Titus, yep. I think that's all. Damn it, that was almost impressive. So the influence, right, has lasted generation after generation after generation. He's an example of, I will pour my spirit out and it will empower you to be my witnesses. So God's spirit through Paul is now echoing and reverberating witness to us today about what God can do in the life of someone who's even opposed to him intentionally. 
someone so far away from God, look what God can do in his life when the Holy Spirit comes in, regenerates and saves that person. It's ridiculous. And then we see through Acts, there's so many incredible things that Paul does. You read the last sort of six or eight chapters of Acts and, um, and we see the three different missionary journeys Paul went on to spread the gospel and plant churches and the churches like the Corinthian church, the Colossian church, the Ephesian church, these churches that Paul um, was instrumental in getting up off the ground so that the, the, the message of Jesus could spread throughout all the world. Um, he was arrested in Jerusalem. He was brutally beaten with, um, in an inch of his life. With, they had intention to kill him, but they just withheld so that he could with, withstand the torture they put upon him. Um, he was extradited by boat um, back to Rome and encountered a fierce storm that lasted for two weeks where they did not eat on that boat for two weeks as they were fighting the storm. There's 276 men on that boat. It was just all prisoners, ridiculous. That boat then got shipwrecked on the island of Malta. He was there for three months, got bitten by a snake and should have died, but didn't. Then started to create basically a healing ministry with the locals on the island of Malta, and they all got healed of their disease and infirmaries. It was crazy stuff. So the Spirit's power at work in the life of a human being ultimately should not just be for your benefit, right? I don't just come to God and go, all right, God, I've got a whole bunch of brokenness in me. I'm messed up. I'm broken and I've got needs. God, I am needy. Like, have you had needy friends? Man, so draining, so awkward. Um, God has a, a bigger plan than your neediness. Now, I'm not discrediting your needs, okay? All of us have legitimate needs and desires. I totally get that. And God wants to grant us the desires of our heart. The Bible's clear on that. But he's got a greater plan at place, and that greater plan is his glory. The glory of God is God's master plan. That in your life, where you are dead to sin and broken and far from God, he wants to come into that space, breathe his spirit and life into you to transform you and awaken you into your original image as the Imago Dei, the image of God, so that he can then start to work through your life and bring healing to the broken parts, bring restoration to the parts that have decayed and deteriorated, to bring hope and life, not so that you can just have healing and have wholeness and have freedom. All that's great, but the greater good for that is that he would get glory glory through his work through your life and when we see that we don't hinge our faith and our hope on circumstance we don't oh until god comes through for me then i'm just i'm just waiting no no there's a bigger play there's a bigger a bigger game at play here it's the glory of god he is the the first commandment is you will have no other gods before me and sometimes we put our needs in the place of gods in our life and we will only worship God till he comes through on those levels. But then those needs, as good as they are, become idols that we worship above God and we break the first commandment. We've got to put our faith not in what we need to God to do for us, but our faith in who God is for us. And the person of God, not the presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S of God, but in who he is as Lord and Saviour. And so a couple of things that um, I find really interesting, and um, I'll wrap this up soon. Um, one of the books Paul wrote was to the Philippians. And in chapter one, I'm going to bounce around a couple of thoughts here, different things that he says, but um, I find this really, really helpful as, as Paul's teaching is part of that witness that we talked about. Part of the legacy is the letters that he wrote to these churches that now 
um, still echo truth through 2,000 years of church history. And so um, in, in chapter 1, verse 21, he writes this. He writes, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now that, that truth, that little snippet there is, that's interesting. To, to live is Christ, to, to die is, is gain. And we might go, well, what does that actually mean? And Well, it means that, because if you read the context of that chapter, Paul's basically saying, look, guys, I'm done. I, I just think... I'm getting beaten, I'm getting arrested, I'm getting imprisoned. Life is just tough. It's probably easier for me if I just whoosh, out of here. Thank you very much. But for your sake, I'm going to hang around. Because I've realized that to live is Christ but to die, and to die is gain. So that essentially, while I'm on this earth, even though I'm facing trauma, even though I'm facing trials, even though I'm facing hardship, to live is to be like Christ. To live is to be on mission for God our Father where there's work to be done and people to be helped and lives to be impacted. But if I die in the midst of that, that's great gain because all those troubles and fears go away and I get a brand new life and I get perfection in heaven. So to live is Christ. To live is to be on mission. To live is to be helped. To live is to be the hands and feet of Jesus on this world. And if through the process we happen to die, that's gain. It's all good. So in other words, no matter what happens to me, I win. The Christian life is a win-win situation. And this is the thing that, that we, we talk with atheists and stuff about all the time. Is like, well, if, if you're right and I'm wrong, at the end of the day, I've got nothing to lose. But if I'm right and you're wrong, at the end of the day, you've got a lot to lose. And that's why, like I said, the Christian life is the win-win. To live is Christ, to die is gain. He also says in, in, in verse 4 that his prayers for the church are prayers of joy, which I find fascinating because... So, so much of, of my Christian life is prayers are monotone and solemn and sincere and reflective. And especially if you're praying for someone's needs and things like that. And I think there's times for that. But, but I love that Paul goes, hey, you know what? You can actually pray with joy. You can actually add a bit of life and pizzazz to your prayer life and see it as an incredible opportunity to connect with the God of the universe. And that should bring a sense of joy about not just what you're talking about, but who you're talking to. And so I pray for the church with joy, not, knowing, not, not necessarily caring about what I'm praying for, but ultimately who I'm praying to. And that's, that's a game changer for him. So, so for us, I get encouraged going, all right, God, I want to add some color to my prayer life. I don't want my prayer life to be just bland and beige and black and white. I want it to be vibrant and interactive and be a, a, um, a dialogue, not a, not a monologue. Where I just go, God, I want this stuff. Amen. Bye. Catch you later. See you next week. Um, it's like, no, God, I need you. Pause. Reflect. Listen. Sit. Thank you for the sunrise. Thank you for um, sunshine. Thank you for waterfalls. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my life. Whatever it is, bringing color into that space by being grateful and thankful, which ironically, gratefulness and thankfulness are the keys to the city. Enter his courts with thanksgiving. And so when it comes to prayer... Let's add a bit of joy, sprinkle some joy on our prayer. That's what we learned from Paul. I've got to stop using that accent. <laughs> Especially with this and, and yeah. colourful and it's just wrong message. Um, Philippians 1 verse 12. What has happened to, he says, what happens to, has happened to me has really helped to serve the advancement of the gospel. Right, now this 
this is something that we all um, need to get a grasp of because this, this is super important because this gives purpose to your pain. This, this gives us a bit, of, um, a bit of hope in the midst of our, our dark times. But what can happen so easily is when we go through hardship or, you know, I, I look at, for example, I shared this morning, just the week that I have, not for you to feel sorry for me, but just an insight into the fact that I get that we all carry weight. Now, in the midst of those things where you feel overwhelmed, you feel burdened, you feel not good enough or not qualified enough or, or overwhelmed by the, the issues of life, what can happen is um, the enemy, right, the devil, which, you know, he's, he's, he's the deceiver, right? He's the deceiver of the brethren. He deceives. So in our, in our times of hardship, he comes in with a little whisper and says, um, yeah, you're done. You're disqualified. God can't use you. Probably best just to tap out. Probably just to give up. This is all too much. Don't go to church. Don't, don't worry about giving. Don't worry about helping. Don't worry about serving. Just don't pray. Don't read the Bible. It's just, it's all too much. You probably would be better without all the burden of religion in your life. He's deceiving you. Because Paul, I would say, has been through more trauma and trial than any of us in this room. Respectfully. Not that it's about measuring or gauging. But, but I say that to say, even in the midst of, of the horrors that he has personally faced, he still comes out the other end saying, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. That my, my hardship did not disqualify me from God's plan and purpose. In fact, it actually helped me to advance the cause I was all about because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. That when the Holy Spirit comes on me, he helps me be a witness in this world. And so it actually advances the gospel that God's power shines through our weakness. And that's, that's Jesus 101. It's not about us, it's about him working through us. So I think my encouragement for us this morning is like, whatever you're facing, God can, that's why the scripture, God turns all things together for good, right? For those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So his followers, his people, if you love God and follow him, then he will turn the worst of your circumstances around to actually bring him glory and help you through the other end. Paul says that right there. It actually helps to advance the gospel. Because what doesn't help to advance the gospel is when we project a life of perfection. And because we're, we're Christians, we've got some sort of moral um, superiority to everybody else. And so we might be behind closed doors, really struggling, really failing, but we put on the Christian mask and pretend everything's okay, amen, brother, hallelujah. Oh my gosh, praise Jesus, that's amazing. Meanwhile, we go home and abuse our wife and kids. Oil and water don't mix. But if we're just honest about our brokenness, transparent about our imperfections, Jesus can work through that. He's not looking for us to put on a mask. He's looking for us to be real and genuine. And he will use that. Even the worst of us, he can make good. He's a redemptive God. If he took us from when we were dead and made us alive, he can take us when we're broken and sinful and make us holy and righteous. That's what he does. Last thing. This sort of ties in, in, in Philippians 1.6. Paul is sure. I said Paul is sure. <laughs> no, it's Paul is sure. Oh, Paul is sure. That was a blast from the past. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I was trying to think of a quote there, but I've got nothing. Any quotes? You got a Paul is sure quote? No? Okay. Think of it later. <laughs> Wow. Yes. Biodome. That was a weird movie, wasn't it? Anyway, I digress. He who Paul, Paulie Shaw, 
Paul is sure um, that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. That we live in a constant state of TBC, to be continued. And until we are passed from this life to the next, there is always God's redemptive work to be done in us as he shapes us and takes us from glory to glory. We've never arrived. Heaven is where we arrive. Earth is where we're on the, destiny, we're on the journey. And we might take two steps forward and everything's great and something happens and we just find ourselves going back. But, but Paul is confident from what he has experienced and, and, and encountered with God and in life that if God starts something in you, he will see it through to the end. In fact, we get this assurance from Jesus in Matthew 28, 20. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be there even to the end of the age. That's the promise we have. God is with us for all eternity, even in this present life. Because he began a good work in us, he'll see it through to completion, and he'll be with us all the way along the journey. Are we willing to stop and pause and acknowledge that he is with us, or are we just trying to run in our own strength and fix our own problems? That's where we come unstuck, is when we, we unhitch from, from God and try to do things in our own strength, and it doesn't work out good. We've got to just stop, pause, walk with Jesus, work with Jesus, not ahead of him, not behind him, in step with him, and figure out what are his unforced rhythms of grace. What is the pace at which we are supposed to walk in order to, to feel and see the mission of God at work in us and through us as he sees the work he began in us all the way through to completion? And so this is Paul. This is some of his life, some of his greatest teachings um, that we now have as a source of encouragement that bear witness not just to us as Christians, but the world about who God is and what he has for us. So I'm just going to land the plane there. I hope that was helpful for you. Um, next week we will sort of conclude this whole series and join it all up. And then the week after is Easter, Good Friday and Easter Sunday services, 9.30 each day. So you don't remember different times. Um, we'd love to see you here for Easter as we really hone in on um, the significance of Jesus and what Easter means for us. Believe it or not, it's, Easter's more than chocolate eggs. What? Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Um, more than hot cross buns that came out on the 2nd of January this year. But um, <laughs> So we're going to unpack that, that Easter's a little bit more than that. But um, As we close, can I just pray for you this morning as we go and caffeinate ourselves out the back? Um, God, I just thank you for today. I thank you for um, what you did in this place this morning. Lord, we thank you for our time in, in worship where we could just bring our, our weight, our burdens, our troubles, our worries, our anxieties, whatever it is that seems to be just pressing us down, that we could bring that to you. And I thank you that, that you lifted that for us. You, you carried some of that weight for us, Lord God, and, and brought us a bit of respite and a bit of freedom. And Lord, I thank you for what we learned from the life of Paul this morning. Lord, that you could use someone who is so intentionally anti-you, someone who's on mission to shut you down and you have completely transformed their, their world to be someone who is then on mission to help build the thing you're trying to establish. And Lord, I pray for all of us here that we would find hope. 
Lord, that you have began a good work in us and that we are on the journey to seeing that completed and I pray that we would just learn to trust in you along the way. That we wouldn't put our hope in just our circumstances changing or hope in, in, in us getting what we feel we need, but we would put our hope in you being glorified through us. That we would be used as ambassadors and agents of heaven to bring life and love and hope to this world, regardless of where we're at and what we're doing. And Lord, I pray specifically for people's worlds, whatever they're battling with, whatever they're struggling with, Lord, I pray that you'd be with them. I pray that they would have a sense of your presence, a sense of your spirit, Lord, that you would bring them hope and bring them life in their battles. And Lord, that those here this morning that might not know you personally, might know about you, but don't know you as, as Lord and Savior. They haven't crossed that line of faith and say, you know what, Jesus, I, I choose to follow you. Lord, I pray this morning you would stir their heart to make that decision. Would you stir their heart to say, God, I, I ask that you would forgive me of my sin, the stuff that separated you uh, and me, and, and I, I, I put that aside and I receive this free gift of new life that you give to me. Lord, would you stir us for that this morning? Bless the week ahead in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.